Good afternoon. Today I have the lovely Mike Craven, who I'm sure doesn't need any introduction, but would you like to introduce yourself, Mike, and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, I'm the lovely Mike Craven, uh, author of the Washington Post series, the award-winning Washington Post series, now a Sunday Times bestseller, um, and I'm delighted to be here. Good. Pleased to hear it. So, did you always want to be a writer? I, I did, funny enough. I didn't think I ever could be a writer, but I was um, writing when I was very little. Appalling stuff, I'm sure. When I say little, I mean under 10 years old. Um, but I, in those days, it wasn't really a thing that a working class lad from Newcastle could aspire to. So I, I joined the army um, when I was 16 and I pretty much stopped writing then actually, I, I, but I never, I, I never stopped reading, obviously. I read probably more in the army than I ever have ever. Um, and it wasn't until 2013 when I was shortlisted for the debut dagger that I actually uh, seriously considered it, to, to be honest. And what made you finally take the plunge and actually write seriously? It was, well, the, the debut dagger that the Crime Writers Association run, you only have to submit the first 3,000 words. So I um, I did that. I wrote 3,000 words. I took two weeks off work. Sorry, I took a week off work. I wrote 3,000 words in the first three days, and I did the synopsis of the next two, and I submitted it and then for, promptly forgot all about it, to be honest. But it got shortlisted. Um and we went down to London and we met Lee Child and Frederick Forsyth and loads of other authors. Um, and then an agent actually said, can I see the manuscript? And I only had 3,000 words, so I needed to write another 97,000. So I told her it was nearly finished, but not quite. So I, um, I told her it was a porky. Then I went away and wrote it and it was awful. It was absolutely awful. And she roundly rejected it, but she gave me some incredibly useful feedback, which I then took on board, completely rewrote it. Um, and that was Born in the Burial Gown, the first in the Aguson Fluke series. And that got a publishing contract. Um, the first publisher I submitted it to got um, snapped it up. So that was um, a decent start. And then the next, the following year, I met an agent called David Headley, who um, I gave a copy of Burial Gown to and touched me and said, next time you've got something to submit, please do consider me first, which I did. And that was Body Breaker. And he signed me on the basis of that. He said, I want you to rewrite it though, because I want you with a big publisher, not the small publisher I'm with now. I thought, I thought we're out over Christmas actually. This was Christmas 2015, 16. And I said, it'll be easier for me just to rewrite something from scratch, which was, was Puppet Show, which originally was going to be the third sort of story in the Fluke series. Um, so I did, I wrote, I wrote Puppet Show, and over the course of 2017, I polished it and finished it. It was best I could. David made a few suggestions, and in 2017, um, uh, very early, January 2017, uh, Little Brown bought it, and they published it in 2018, and the, it's been a sort of steady increase in readers and um it's it's going well i mean the, the puppet show won the gold dagger which is was was pretty cool um the black summer and the crater the next two in the series were both short uh, long listed for the gold dagger and um on sunday it will be in the paper that it's a sunday times bestseller uh, dead ground is a sunday times bestseller so it's going well my publisher is very pleased and my agent's very pleased because um and please, my agent is the main thing, obviously, because he's um, a businessman and he wants to make money. And if he makes money, I'm making money, obviously. And if I'm making money, the publisher's making money. So um, it just allows me to keep on doing this. I've been a full-time writer since 2015, so. Well, hopefully you're pleased as well, because it's pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That'll be no hope, so. Yeah, I, 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 I'm very pleased. Um, it's... I, I mean, when I was first starting out and I, I met authors um, when, I was, when I was doing writing conferences and things, and I was in pretty much in awe of them. And now those same authors, some of them are asking me for quotes on their books and, and things. Um, and to see 
the big displays and bookshops that I've never been to um, of, of dead grounds um, and people all over the all over the world actually people from America because it's not out in America so they've had to buy it from the UK um, and theirs are just starting to arrive now because obviously the because the the because the, um, the, of the postage. So that's pretty cool, it, and it never gets old. The day it does get a bit old and same is the day I probably should pack it in, but I'm not here. I'm not there yet. If you were to be transported into any of your books as a character, which book would you like to be in, and what character would you be? Uh, Black Summer, um, because I do like my food, and Black Summer's a foodie book. Um, what would I like to be? I think I'd like to. I think I'd like to be Poe in that book actually, because he gets to eat. Um, he gets to eat that lovely meal in the Mitchell Sod restaurant, and he goes round to his neighbour's Victoria Humes, and he has three helpings of lamb hot pot and uh, lamb tatey pot. Sorry, Cumbrians will kill me for saying hot pot. Um, and then he eats. He eats in a pub. I can't remember what he has in that pub. But he eats something delicious. I know. And I, 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 I um, so yeah, be Poe in that just purely because I'm a greedy so and so. That's the most random answer I've had to that question, but I love it. <laughs> um, what's the most interesting thing you found doing research for your books? Uh, I, I think, again, I'm going to go back to Black Summer, and that was um, the existence of um, the Royal... What's that? I can't remember what they're called. It's the, the Observer Corps, anyway. The Royal something Observer Corps. Um, and they're the guys who originally... In World War Two, they were there to um, spot. Um, actually, it's the Royal Observer Corps (ROC). Um, Rocker is the association that came up after it to support people who served. So they they um, were in World War Two, and they were to, they were the ones who spotted the planes, and so that the klaxons could sound, the air raid warnings could sound, and get people into in the bunkers and things. But they carried on that role in the Cold War and became, um, and, and their role was to observe the impact of the nuclear strike. So th their bunkers were transformed, were put underground for a start because obviously there were wooden, there were wooden sort of quite tall observation posts for World War Two because you need to be, you need to have a good line of sight um, to spot air aircraft. The um, the need to be above ground on a nuclear strike was 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 far less, obviously. So they they buried down, they went underground, and they built bunkers, which which had all this equipment to measure um, nuclear strikes, and they had enough food for fourteen days because after that they would be dead. Um, so that was yeah, and it was it was interesting. I spoke to some really cool blokes who had actually been part of the Royal Observer Corps, and they had some really really interesting stories. I couldn't put anywhere near that amount of research in the book, unfortunately, because it would have just slowed the story down. Um, the important thing for the story was that there was a bunker, and it was hidden, and it was secret, and no one knew where it was. But, um, yeah, so that was interesting. And the stuff about the Blue Whale, cha the Blue, Whale Blue Whale Challenge in The Creator, that was interesting. But I already knew that, actually. I just did a bit more research, and I spoke to public health in Carlisle, about what their response would be if there was an outbreak of teen suicides. Um, so that was interesting as well, albeit a bit more, a bit grim. Very grim, yeah. But sadly, I think there was something recently, wasn't there, that was similar. So, yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's not nice, and it's it's a it's a messed up world where people can be coerced into suicide just by logging onto a website. But that is the world that we live in. Is, which is why I'm glad that I wasn't that age um, when the internet was around. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm very happy with the childhood I had. I, I don't think I'd have enjoyed it so much with access to all the things that the kids these days have access. I played outside, that was what we did. Um, whereas kids these days don't appear to, or after a certain age, they don't appear to do. No. Um, and I'm guessing, although I could be really wrong, that for Tilly's character, you have to research your more Poe than you are Tilly in regards to technology. The I, I'm more like Poe, you're absolutely right. And with the it, it's interesting, actually, because the dynamics between the two means, because they're not on the same wavelength, I get to have Poe explain things to Tilly um, and vice versa, which means I get to explain them to the readers as well. So that's a, a pretty useful trick um to get information across without 
being patronised, really, because normally it's Tilly being patronising the Poe or, um, or Poe um, explaining part of the world that Tilly hasn't experienced yet. Um, she, I mean, the technical stuff, I just researched something that I, that I think would be cool. So in Dead Ground, that um, I, I found out what charging cables... Um, just a, a bog standard mobile phone charging cable can have viruses hidden in them and people purposely leave them in hotel rooms so that they'll be picked up by staff and then f- future guests will borrow them they'll upload viruses to the computers and you, you, that it was quite interesting actually but also quite quite scary um in in the way that you can just actually be a victim of a crime without leaving your house without doing anything wrong without putting yourself in a particular there's 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 more and more ways to be a victim of a crime these days, and that, that part's actually a little bit, a little bit scary, particularly for a dinosaur like me who, who doesn't really understand anything <laughs> about, about about this new world. So I'm very much like Poe, like that. Yeah, and um, I've just finished a forensic science degree, and we were told that when we done cybercrime, that there's literally more than the police can possibly ever hope to try and fight. So they just do the major stuff because that's all they can handle. Yeah, I mean, I mean the, um, I mean, and the, the fact is, uh, I can't remember if I touched it on this in Dead Ground. I might be the botanist actually. I think it probably is the botanist. The next one, that the real genius, not well, not genius. Genius is a strong word, but the people who have a lot of competence in IT don't work for the police because the police get paid tiny wages compared to what they can be earning in the private sector. So the 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 the, the police IT departments are a they're underfunded and b they are probably unskilled. Um, if you if you do work in a police IT department, then don't come and hunt me down. But I mean, I, I think that's just a sad reality. Um, so if if they came up against someone like Tilly, um, they wouldn't be able to uncover what she was trying to hide on the computer, for example. And when I was in probation, the 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 the, the, the facts were that there were some paedophiles, child sex offenders, who were more skilled on computers than the police were, and they were able to hide things on the computer to the point that the police couldn't recover it, which um, is, it's, it's nobody's fault. It's just the, the, the reality of, um, and because it's um, it's a reactive profession, isn't it? Um, police IT, um, they're always playing catch up. They are always going to be playing catch up. It's just the reality. Do you have any phobias and would you write about them? I don't, no, no. I mean, there's things I, I I wouldn't want to do. Um, so I wouldn't want to tight. I wouldn't want to walk a tightrope over the Grand Canyon or something like that. But I don't think that's a phobia. That's just common sense. I don't like sultanas. Um, it's not a phobia. It's just like I find them disgusting. But I think I put that in dead ground actually. Um, <laughs> that they're disgusting. Um, my wife is scared of spiders and and bees and wasps and and, and things like that. But again, I mean that's. That's not uncommon. Um, I mean, some people are scared of snakes. I absolutely love snakes. I used to be a professional snake breeder. Um, no, I don't think I've got any phobias. And I, there's nothing I wouldn't write about. Uh, I actually, the one thing I wouldn't write about is um, the Derek Bird mass shooting that we had in Cumbria in 2010, I think, um, because that would just be a bit too exploitative. But otherwise, there's there's nothing on, on limits. And if you're a skilled enough writer, you can you can write it. So it's not you're not exploiting somebody's misery or, or something. Um, do you hide any secret jokes or messages in your books? Yeah, virtually every book has a um, a serial killer Easter egg. If you know where to look, um, so it'll be a random name somewhere. Will be an old serial killer so I think there was a couple in Black Summer I can't remember what it was in the creator in Dead Ground I think it was an address the address of a serial killer um, now I think that I might have actually forgotten to do that in the bottom list I'm about to have to put that actually I've got the proofs now so I mean, it's a done deal I mean that book is written I'm just going through the final proofs as ridiculous as it is I mean I, I actually finished book six never mind book five um, before Dead Ground was out so yeah I, I, I tend to um in Dead Ground, actually, there's an Easter egg in Dead Ground that nobody's got, and that is the. Uh, have you read Dead Ground? I, I, I don't know if you have. The um the number of the safety deposit box that the James Bonds open, and then place the um, ceramic rat 
in it. And this isn't a spoiler, this is in the first chapter. It's 200 and, do you know, I can't remember, it might be 209.9 or something like that. And it was Alan Shearer. It was, he's Newcastle's number nine centre forward and it was the number of goals that he scored when he was playing for us. But nobody's spotted that. And I've got some quite keen football fans, Newcastle fans. Um, So, yeah, that's one that nobody's spotted. (laughs) I like it. I'm um, I'm from way down south, and I'm a Luton Town supporter. So, oh well. So we've been we beat Carlisle quite a few times when we were in your in the league. So, but Newcastle, uh, we did yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I support I support Newcastle, but I'm not bothered about um, Carlisle as well. I, I want to do well, obviously, but um, I prefer cricket these days. I mean, I've got the cricket on over there; you can't see it, but um, I'm keeping a weather eye on it. Joe Root's bowling at the minute. Yeah, that's something that goes over my head. I'm just looking forward to the Euros later. Yeah, yeah. Is it uh, opening ceremony today? Was it the first match today? Yep. Although my colleague asked me who was playing and I had no idea. <laughs> I'm so excited that I have no idea who's playing. I didn't even know it was on. It was my wife who told us because I, I just sort of I stopped following football because that's how I watch cricket more. more and I, I, soon all the big money started in the Premier the Premier League, it got a bit boring, quite frankly, because most of the clubs couldn't compete with that. With that, so it, it lost its competitive edge. Yeah, well, I enjoyed talent. it when Leicester screwed over the big clubs. That was great fun, but um, that was yeah. That was, that, that's, that's not going to happen very often at all. No, that was awesome. Yeah, I loved that actually. That was, that's going to be one of the best seasons ever, I think. Um, what was I going to ask you? <laughs> um, the whole one book a year thing, I guess that's your publisher. Considering you're such a popular author and you've written two more, why can't we have them, <laughs> basically? Yeah, my publisher. I, I, mean, I mean, and this is what a lot of people don't realise because they do see authors pumping out through, particularly if they're with a um, digital, a primarily digital publisher like Bookature or, or some of the smaller publishers. Um, that they want three books a year or three books every 15 months or something like that. With with the big publishers, it's a big thing, getting a book out, um, the amount of process it has to go through. And because it's out in hardback and then paperback, in effect, that's two books a year. Uh, and if so if I actually had two books a year, as in two new books a year, it would actually be four books a year because there'll be two hardback releases, two paperback releases, and there just wouldn't be there wouldn't be the time. And the the they need the book 18 months before it's due to be published because that's when they start working on it. So it goes to editorial first to make sure it's actually suitable. Then it goes into a process where each person gets to work on it. Um, so this is the I'm holding the proofs of the botanist now. And that is, it's been typeset and everything, and I'll go through it just to try and spot typos. My wife will go through it because she's a proofreader. I've got a couple of people who I um, send it to as well because they're, they're very good. And so that is, it's a big, long process. And then you've got marketing, you've got sales, you've got key account managers, you've got publicity, because um, publicity and marketing aren't the same thing, which is something I found out. So, um, yeah, I'm going to say, so it's going to be one book a year, but next year you're getting two books. Albeit, um, I can't tell you anything about the other book than, other than it's going to be a Poe and Tilly book. Um, it's going to be a little bit different. But The Botanist is, a, is an out-and-out fluke novel. But sl- just before that, or just after that, it's going to be very close to it. I think it might be just before, about maybe a month before, there's going to be something a bit fun coming out. But I'm not allowed to tell anyone. My editor wasn't even allowed to... Because that, when I made the Sunday Times list on Tuesday, because you find out on Tuesday, although the Sunday Times isn't out till Sunday, was, um she sent a, a letter out to to Little Brown, um, just sort of um, boasting, basically, because it's a feather in the publisher's cap, and it's a feather in um, marketing. And my publicist was absolutely; she was the first person to ring me, actually, because I mean, it's all they—they're the ones who actually promote the book. Well, I was right there. And in her letter, she said, "There's some pretty some cool news coming out, but it's embargoed until February next year." So, um, but I think it'll it'll put a smile on people's faces because between books five and six. The botanist and the mercy chair. Um, there's going to be a two-year gap um, between posts because I've got a standalone coming out in 
something I wrote years ago, which is a little brown book. Now I was hoping that was going to just come out in February um, as a, just a paperback, but they want the full whack, they want the full hardback and 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 stuff. Although the dates haven't been finalised for that, they're just they're waiting to see, they're waiting to get dead ground out the way, out the way first. So we'll see. But no, you're not getting more than one book here. Don't be greedy. <laughs> it's a compliment. Yeah, no, but I, it, 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 it's quite difficult to explain it to someone because people do so. Why can't it be released now? But I mean, the re- reality is I have very little say. I certainly have no say at all about the publishing schedule because my editor also has a bunch of other authors as well who have to be fitted into the schedule. So they, they, they don't publish anyone. Um, they don't publish more than one book on it on on because books are out on Thursdays. Um, so... She, there's only 52 Thursdays in the year, obviously, and there's certain periods where you don't publish books. Super Thursday, for example, is a, is a book where you, everyone tries to avoid because that's when all the um, publishers send out their celebrity cookbooks and things ready for the Christmas market. So round about in September, I think, or maybe, I don't know, my agent knows, um, there's, 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 a, there's a period of time where nobody sends out crime novels or anything because they just don't get any column inches because there's only so much column in, so many column inches that the newspapers can, can do for the reviews and things like that so um yeah so it, it's I, i'm one public i'm one author in an imprint and that imprint is one of 14 imprints with little brown now little brown are one company within hachette so it's a huge con- it's a massive organization i mean it's the third biggest publisher in the world so um I have no say so and if they want to publish more than one book a year they'll they'll tell me they won't ask me <laughs> fair enough <laughs> when you wrote your first um poem and Tilly book did you know it's going to be a series yes yes um and that put my agent when he said I want you to write a new book he said I want it to be a police procedural set in Cumbria um he said publishers are looking for uh, then it was anyway. I don't, I don't know what I'm looking for now. Um, so not everyone rush out and do this. They're looking for series sets in outside of London, in parts of the country that aren't saturated with 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 books, um, or don't already have a a massive author writing there. So avoid Brighton because Peter James has got that boxed up, and avoid Edinburgh because um, Ian Rankin's got that, and Aberdeen because Stuart McBride. Um, Lam McDermott, she makes up places, doesn't she? But Peter Robinson's got Yorkshire, for, for example. So I always, yeah, I, it was intended. In fact, she, my editor, when I got the first set of notes, one of the things she said, the ending was a bit too... It wasn't clear that this was the start of a series, so she made me change the ending slightly because um, that's what they want. They want series. Standalones are doing very well at the minute, but um, you're only one miss away and you know if, if you're writing standalones because because the, the model is i believe that 50 percent of the sales when a new book is out is going to be backlist sales um so they want new readers so the the so dead ground hopefully will attract more readers than the creator which attracted more readers in black summer and so on and then they want as many of those new readers then to go back and read the first lot of the series um because by then everyone's made, made the money and it's just it's, it's just basically we'll, we'll print them and then we'll, we'll sell them. If you're out in standalones, then you're only maybe a standalone away from people going, oh, well, no, I'm not fancying that author. Um, but readers of series, they can be a bit more forgiving sometimes because if a book gets to a certain number in a series, a lot of readers have got confidence that if it's got to say book eight or nine or, I mean, I mean high high teens for some of the big authors like Mark Billingham and... Um, Peter James and, and Ian Rankin must be over 20 by now, I would have thought. That the readers have got confidence that there must be something there, even if that one wasn't their particular cup of tea, they might pick up another just to give them another go. Standalones, you don't really get that luxury. Um, saying that, I'm writing the next book I write will be a standalone, it won't be a Poe book, because I've written six Poe books on the, on the trot now, and it's, it starts to feel like a never ending task. So I'm going to have a quick break write something probably quickly by the end of the year then I'll, and I'll go back to Poe next year and let David make it sound so easy I'll just quickly write a standalone <laughs> well it's it's 
the, the way I write, I'm always thinking about the next book anyway. So I've got this story that I want to write, and it's it's um, it's not a, it's not a um, police procedural book. It's um, set in the states. It, well, it's set in New York, and it's just going to be a bit of bit of fun. It might never get published. It's just something I want to do, just to give myself a bit of a mental mental break more than. But plenty more poem until it come. Good. I should hope so too. Otherwise, I think people might descend on you <laughs> and <laughs> demand it and stand outside your front door. <laughs> What's your um, your most overused word? What's the one word that you're constantly like? Oh. <laughs> or your editor picks up. It, it, it tends to be. There's there's normally one a book actually that I, that I overuse. In um in the botanist, it was goat. Uh, for some reason. Goat kept on coming up. As a poet said, some that somebody smelled like a goat, and then he had a. Then he he bought a nose to tail goat from this thing, and that kept on. He never he never got to eat. That was like running gags through. He never every time he was about to settle down to eat some of his goats, something else cropped up, um, and there was something else come up about a goat. Um, so, but they all stayed in actually. Um, I'll, I'll be reading it next um, over the next couple of weeks just to. Spot typos and things like that, so that'll be um, so yeah, but there's always something, and it's normally something my editor actually. My wife normally picks it up, she, she'll do a, a sort of um, a word count thing, so you've used this word 73 times or something, um, and she'll make suggestions about different words, and I, I either agree or, uh, or or I won't agree. Um, and that, that's how editing is. I mean, ultimately, it's my book, and I have the final say on this, unless it's a legal thing. Because all the, I mean, that's one of the processes that go through. They all go through solicitors to make sure nobody's going to get sued and, and things. Um, and this adds to the, the time it takes to get a book out, which is it's, so. It's not just as if I finish it, then two weeks later it's in the shops. As I finish it, and then people work on it for eighteen months, and then it's in the shops. Um, which is why another reason why you don't get a book a, a more than one book a year. Annoying. <laughs> But there's plenty of other good authors out there, so um, I'm certainly not the only author um, that people are enjoying reading at the minute. One of the top ones, so. Well, that's very nice to hear. <laughs> um, so you've achieved some of the massive things that authors want to achieve. So what's your goal now? I was just talking about my wife, actually, because I've, I've got... The gold dagger, which quite frankly is, is something well, very few people have. I mean, it was it's been going since 1950 something. There's been a few greedy people who've won it more than once. So there's only say 50, 60 people in the world that have got this award, and I'm one of them. Um, I, I would like to to win it again, obviously, but I mean, I'm not going to put that on my list. The next thing on the list was to be a Sunday Times bestseller, and now I am. Um, that's something else that can't be I'll be on my next books. Uh, I think the next thing, my next goal, it's my agent's goal as well, is to um, get a publishing deal in America that we're happy with. Because, it, I mean, David's he, he's not one to rush into it and he's saying your value rises. Each month that we wait, your value rises. But at some point, we're just going to have to um, sell it and then see how it does in the States. Um and then see how it see how it is received by the critics in in, in the states. Um, but I mean, there's a balancing act between quality and quantity as well. So the Sunday Times thing is basically saying this is this person can sell books, and the gold dagger is saying all well, the, the, the daggers actually it's not just the gold. They're saying this is a book of, that has achieved a certain quality. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll we'll crack America, and then we'll, we'll we'll have a look at some of the American awards like the Edgar or the Barrys or. Or things like that but I mean when I first started this I mean I never dreamed that this was going to be a a thing a, a possibility <laughs> at all so um, I'm, I'm sort of I'm still in shock about the Sunday Times actually um, and the reality is when because the numbers the the um, Sunday Times count from Sunday midnight all the way up to Saturday midnight the following day so the, this it's a seven day period starting midnight Sunday um, and so the dead ground was out last Thursday. So it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, three day sales basically. Um, 
And people say, oh, fantastic numbers on three-day sales. But it's, it's not really three-day sales because that includes all the pre-orders as well. So they all come on, on the first day. So basically, it's a year up to your first thing. But on the, on the Monday, the, the Amazon and Waterstones numbers come in first. And the, I got copied into an email from somebody quite senior in sales saying, this is the numbers for Waterstones. Um, that, and then she said, this is what it took to get on the Times last week. So if the independents come through and they report on the Tuesday, um, we might have a chance. It's, a, it's, a, it's an outside chance. Um, and then we, my editor rang me up. I was on my way to Grassmere to do some book, to do a book signing. Um, and she said, you, you've you hit number seven. Um, and and the reality is that even if I hadn't sold a book, a single independent book, it would, I, I would have sold enough through Waterstones and Amazon to make number 10, I think. I would have, I would have hit the chart anyway. So you know, it was, it was, yeah. So I've been getting champagne sent all week from various people I work with because it's a big, it's a big thing for them as well. I mean, I mean, I, I am one person and it's a, it's a business, the, the poem Tilly books. I mean, and it's not just my business. I mean, I make my money out of it, but everyone else has to make money out of it. So this is a, it's it's a big um, thing for everyone. Um, the, the Sunday Times thing. I didn't really realize until I, the emails started to fly through for the managing director of Little Brown and people like that. I'm just <laughs> absolutely delighted. Uh, my agent obviously can now ask for more money and, and, and more things, and he can be even more demanding than he is now. Um, which, is, which is which is quite. They're all terrified of my agent up there. Um, so that's that's pretty cool. So yeah, um, I, so I don't know what the question was, but I don't know. At the minute, I think I just want to. I, th I think next year I want to consolidate and try and see if I can get the botanist in the in the times as well, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. Sounds like a good plan. <laughs> a lot of the authors I speak to have imposter syndrome. You're so successful. Do you still have that? Do you still get oh, yeah. nervous at a new release? Yeah, absolutely. I did a podcast with Mark Billing the other day, and he, he said, "Yeah, he still, he still, he still gets it." Um, I, I do. You, you never. I mean, Dead Ground's my favourite book in this series so far, but that doesn't mean it's going to be everyone else's. That absolutely doesn't. Um, some people swear blind that Black Summers, uh, sorry, the puppet shows their their favourite book. Some people say the creators. A lot of people are saying Dead Ground is, which is very nice. But certainly, um, there's always going to be people who don't like it as much as the previous book and that I mean that's as it should be actually it'd be a bit weird if everybody thought as I did it'd be a bit of a strange world indeed um so yeah you're always a bit apprehensive when 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 you've got a new book out um and that, that's as it should be I'm always a bit nervous when I sit down with the start of a new book as I will a bit do it this time will that sort of well be dry when I go to get because I always know roughly what the story is going to be very roughly um, I could probably write it down on a page, basically. I mean, that's that's how much I sort of plan. But I do have a plan. I'm I'm not a pantser as some people. I hate that term, but everyone understands it. Um, but it's the it's the just the stuff that surprises me, which makes it so enjoyable. Um, that's the stuff I don't know is going to that I I hope is going to be there next time I sit in front of the computer. But um, and it, in some ways it's getting easier upon Tilly because I know exactly how we'll react to certain situations so writing a standalone next is, is um, I'm expecting it to be more of a challenge because the new characters to me so I'm going to have to think very carefully about how they will react because I'm building up someone from scratch so um, whereas with Poe and Tilly now I've written six novels countless short stories and novella so I pretty much know how they're going to respond to certain situations and what they're going to do who's Poe going to object um to who's he going to kick off to <laughs> which embarrassing which, which things is, is Tilly going to get the wrong end of the stick and misunderstand <laughs> things and um the usual things there's always going to be something about Poe's diet because that's that's funny makes me laugh um, that's the <laughs> conversations that me and my wife have constantly um when she's trying to get me to eat salad um, as part of my tea I'm saying, uh, I'll have salad for lunch you can make me have salad for lunch I don't mind that but I'll put my foot down for tea um, so conversations like that yeah so that bit is, is, is sort of second nature and I've also got a file full of things ready to be used if I ever run dry on that but writing a book from scratch because Mark Billingham's new book is a standalone rabbit hole very very good as well um, and he, he said he was he, he, he didn't know if he'd be able to do it because you, you just don't and so yeah the imposter syndrome 
Um, and if you didn't have it, I think, again, your writing would be flat and dry and you'd be, you'd be phoning it in. Yeah, I think I'll make lots of uh, indie authors feel better <laughs> as well. They've, if you get scared, then it must, they'll know that they're Yeah, right. I mean, and there's, uh, uh, a lot of this is luck anyway. Um, it, it just... It, it, I, I'm a successful author now, but there are many incredibly talented authors who just haven't had the luck I, I've had. I just happened to have met my agent at the right time when he was looking to build his list. I happened to um, almost look onto a couple like Poe and Tilly who sort of shouldn't work on paper, but when they actually get them down, it does. So there's, there's, um, there's, there is not, and I mean, everyone will say the same when it, when it comes to that. Um, that's that, you, you cannot um, assume that just because you're an exceptional author that you're going to be become a, a successful author because that just simply isn't the case. If you were able to spend any day with an author, dead or alive, who would you choose to spend a day with? Terry Pratchett. He's my favourite author, has been for, for years. I, I mean, I, I do like Stephen King. I think he'd be a fascinating dinner guest because he, he's had a proper, he's had a very interesting life. Um, and he's also one of my favourite authors, but um, I, I would love just to sit down with Terry Pratchett um, and just talk about the disc world and how he, how he went about creating that, just in probably the best bit of world building there's ever been, really. I mean, I mean, I know people say Tolkien was the best world builder because he invented languages and things, but I would put Terry Pratchett's disc world up against anyone, to be honest. Yeah, um, a popular choice actually when I ask that question. So yeah, I can understand that. Um, I can see behind you, you have masses of books. Is there one that's your prized possession? Um, well, they're all downstairs actually. I've got, I've got my sort of showcase one downstairs. Um, oh, I've got a few actually. I've got a signed Carl Hyerson, which I'm very, uh, which I love, a big Carl Hyerson fan. Um, I've got a signed Stephen King, which is, which is good. I've got a few Sherlock Holmes books that are over 100 years old. They're, they're, they're pretty cool. So I've got some nice special editions downstairs. I suppose my pride and joy would be my signed Bruce Dickinson book, um, The Iron Maiden Singer, because um, I bumped into someone who knew him, actually. I, I, I blurbed him. He'd asked me to blurb his book, um, which I was happy to because it was a good book. And I saw him at Capital Crime in London. And I had my Iron Maiden t-shirt on. He said, I'm friends with Bruce Dickinson. Um, my father used to teach him fencing because Bruce Dickinson's an Olympic standard, standard fencer. Um, if you've got anything I want, you want him signed, signed I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll be meeting them soon. And of course, COVID happened. So that turned out into a, a while. But eventually, um, he managed to get my copy of his autobiography signed, which was... Um, Pretty amazing. So yeah, that's my pride and joy at the minute. I mean, it's just a mass-produced book, and I've got some quite valuable ones, but that's the one. And uh, in, in my own, I mean, it's the um, the poet show. I mean, the, my, my first my first hardback book. I mean, that's also because I've got the Goldsboro special edition. I've got number one because Goldsboro always give the authors number one. Um, so I've got a, I've got one. I've got three Goldsboro books all at number one, but my public shows. What's been your favourite moment being an author so far? Uh, when the gold dagger, I think, because uh, it was just so un so unexpected. My agent actually thought I was up for Black Summer when he found out it was the puppet show. He went, oh, shit. Um, so literally nobody thought. The fact I was shortlisted um, and went down to London is is... It's a surprise because I wasn't even bother, going to bother going, but my publisher paid for the table and everything, um, as they do every year. Because I mean, they didn't know who was going to win either, because it was, um, and because it was the last award of the night, other than the Diamond Dagger. The Diamond Dagger is announced before, and that's for a lifetime achievement. So the Gold Dagger is the last one where there's actually a shortlist and the opening envelope, and they're going to win. There is there. So it was about twenty past eleven by the time it was announced, and. My publisher had been feeding me champagne and beer since about half past five. 
Um, so my speech was a right load of gobbledygook. Um, so that was my proudest moment, probably also my most embarrassing moment as, as I think, because um, it was filmed and put on YouTube and just I cringe every time. So um, I sort of self-edit that bit out and I just pretend it was an awesome speech. <laughs> it really wasn't. <laughs> what do you like to do when you're not writing? Read, sit in the garden. Out. I mean, I live in a beautiful part of the country, um, so I go out most most days with the dog, and we, we spend a couple hours having adventures. Um, and at some point, the crime festivals will start up again, and I'll they'll, they'll go back in the in the calendar. Um, but my wife and I like to eat out, so um, now that the restaurants are back open again, now we're starting to do a bit more of that. So yeah, nothing terribly exciting. Is there anyone, um, if you met them at a crime festival or something, that you'd fanboy over? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I still get tongue-tied when I talk to Lee Child, because I'm a big um, Jack Reacher fan. I, um, If I ever met Carl Hyacinth or Michael Conley, I, I, I think I, I, would, I would just be looking at them with big puppy eyes, just wanting to touch their arms and just be a right weirdo. So it's probably best that I don't ever meet them um, for, for a while. What if they were to hand you one of your books and say, could you sign it for me, please? And I'm a big fan. The child did that to me and I, I just didn't know what to put. Um, <laughs> I passed that to the point I can't remember what I put because I, I, he had a copy of the puppet show in his goodie bag, his Harrogate goodie bag. And when I went to, just to say thank you, because he gave me some words of encouragement at the, at the Daggers dinner in 2013. So I just wanted to say thank you, um, and he, I, I said, "Oh, no, the puppet show was out this year." And he said, oh, "I've got that in my bag." And he was on his, he, he was sort of Sunday, so he had it on him. So he, he asked me to sign it. Um, I don't know. I, I, I see signing books is weird for me because I'm always terrified I'll, I'll make a mistake. I never know what I'll do if I make a mistake. Um, I mean, I have written "Happy Bog Day" to someone when I was meant to say "Happy Birthday." <laughs> Signed my name WM Craven once. Um, you don't really never know because as, as an author, you type most things. I mean, you, you get out of practice um, writing with a with a with a pen. Uh, and I say author like books I've had signed, and you've got beautiful penmanship. Mine looks like spiders crawled into a bottle of ink and just walked over the page. <laughs> I noticed everyone was teasing you for just using your initials in the latest ones <laughs> because you're so big now you can't even write your own full name. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean that was it. That was advice I got given quite early on. I, I, in before um, it was my agent actually, because the puppet show was Goldsboro Book of the Month, and um, that means they they bought seven hundred and fifty out of Go Down London, signed seven hundred and fifty books. And David, and David said you need to get a signature now that you can replicate, and it doesn't take you very long. Um, so. Um, I, I, I practiced and I came up with, with something I could I could do, which is like my if I was signing checks and things, it's similar, but I would actually write my surname properly. Um so I, I can do it fairly fast and they all, and they look fairly fairly similar. But it's still better than some people's um <laughs> signatures. I mean, I mean Michael Conley's, I mean, I know he has to sign well, ten times the number I do, but Jesus, put a little bit of effort in. <laughs> I think that was Tony Forder, actually, wasn't it? That was taking a piss. It was. Well, it was a few. I think everyone ganned up in the end, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, at least mine's got M, W, and C in it. I mean, somebody. I mean, uh, Michael Connolly. You have to go back and check previous books just to see it's him and not somebody just testing if the biro was working. <laughs> I'm sure you could give as good as you get anyway. Actually, I've heard that you can. <laughs> For various people. <laughs> next, I'm in next probation, so um, I'm not a pushover. <laughs> no, I don't doubt it. <laughs> if I was to ask your darling wife and those closest to you what your most annoying habit is, what would they say? Um, I think my wife would probably spend a couple of days listing them. <laughs> but um, if she had to say number one, it was that I'm far too chirpy in the morning and I don't get tired at night. Um, so I'm a night owl in the early morning. Whatever the whatever the term is for um, the early early risers, so I'm uh, I, I I'm I'm quite a light sleeper. So once I'm awake, I'm awake. I'm I'm not I'm not drowsy. I'm, like, um, I'm, I'm awake like dying. Right, what's happening? What can we do now? Um, and sometimes if I wake up, particularly if I'm plotting a book, 
or I'm I'm in the middle of writing. I'll think of something and I'll be sending myself emails. So um, by the time it's my wife's woken up, I sent myself twenty five emails, and I'm, <laughs> so it's yeah, that's what she would say. In that I go, I, I don't sleep as anybody as much as I should. I say she just sleeps too much, but. Uh, <laughs> um, who is your first celebrity crush? <laughs> um, let me think. Debbie Harry, I suppose. Um, I was was a um big punk fan when I when I was younger, but Debbie Harry was um well, she was a sort of punk anyway, wasn't she? I mean, Blondie was sort of classed as a punk band. They certainly class themselves as a punk band. Um, and I had a poster of Debbie Harry on my on my bedroom wall. So yeah, I suppose. Um, and she's still a very beautiful woman now. Um, she's in her sixties now, probably. Um, Popular choice as well. It's weird with guys. It's either cartoon characters or Debbie Harry. And with women, it's Donny Osmond and David Cassidy. It's pretty much that's it. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, Susie Sue from Susie and the Banshees. Um, I've always had a little soft spot for her. Um, and um, Hazel O'Connor as well. I mean, she could, it was just all the sort of musicians, the female um, singers when I was growing up who had strong voices, I, I, I suspect. But um, Susie Sue and, and Debbie Harry were the main two because they were also songwriters rather, rather than just singers. They weren't just in it because they looked pretty, they were in it because they're incredibly talented um, musicians. If you were stranded on a desert island, what three things would you want with you? Um, a do not disturb sign, um, a big pile of goat curry and a big pile of books. I don't know. I mean, desert islands. I mean, Australia is a desert island. So I mean, you say <laughs> desert island and you could, you could live out your rest of your days quite comfortably here if, if you're on the right place. Um, it's not like the cartoons from the far side. I mean, it's basically... A, about the size of a kitchen with one palm tree in the middle. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's where it would be. I, I think I'd quite enjoy it, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> you know that that um, uh, Tom Hanks film uh, we've got Castaway. Oh, Castaway, of course, it's called Castaway. Um, yeah, I would have loved that. It would be absolutely brilliant. Um, I wouldn't have tried to hang myself. I, I, I would have been happy. As a, I, I would have actually. I wouldn't have been setting off fires when the ship. I would. Have, I would have been hiding. <laughs> <laughs> but don't tell my wife that obviously um, your secret safe with B and whoever watches this is fine I'm sure no one will tell her <laughs> <laughs> do you have any strange or unusual habits or hobbies or talents? Uh, I, mean, I used to I used to breed snakes and um, lizards and frogs and, and all sorts but now nowadays it's it's pretty much reading is what I've done my spare time um, we got our internet sorted out during the first lockdown because we had um, the polling connection before so we've got BT fibre optic so we we're able to get Netflix and Amazon and Disney and, and all that so we've been working our way through the box sets that people have been talking about for years that we didn't have access to um, so yeah we, my wife and I we tend to like the same things um, the crime dramas and, and every now and then Joanne will like something a bit unexpected, like uh, watching Ragnarok at the minute on Netflix, which is North, Norse mythology. And every now and then she'll like something with a bit of mythology in it, which um, I would ordinarily watch. But she she wouldn't. So yeah, nothing nothing weird. <laughs> and if you were able to go back to any time in history, or if you were able to go forward, where would you go? Hmm. I don't know. Um, I think because history is so well documented, documented, I'd quite like to go back and see some dinosaurs. I think that'd be pretty cool. Um, but if um, it would probably get a bit boring after a while because there wouldn't be anything like a Jurassic Park. It wouldn't be all one place for a story. You'd have to go hunting for them, and they'd be all covered in mud, and they'd be dirty, and they would run away from you or eat you. <coughs> it'd be quite. It'd be quite interesting to go like a thousand years in the future just to see what the technology's like. Um, also, to see if my books are still in print, that'll be quite funny. <laughs> well, technically, I suppose it'll all be electronic by then. I'm pretty sure paper books won't exist. I, I doubt there's any trees. I think it'll be a, a very... Uh, we're potentially not even living on this planet anymore by then. Um, 
Yeah, maybe. <laughs> what would you most like about the future? Like driverless cars or robots to do everything for you? Um, uh, I don't know. I think we'd be past the stage where you had to have computers that could break down and things like that and go wrong. I, I think technology would just be so much more user friendly than it is now, than it is now. Um, I don't know. I, don't, I, I think it'd just be interesting to see what what things have been invented that aren't haven't even been considered now. Um, I mean, tomorrow's technology is today's magic, isn't it? I mean, if if you if you showed somebody like 300 years ago um a film say jurassic park or just because we're talking about jurassic park they would they would just burn you at the stake wouldn't they they would just think this is something something weird um and technology seems to move forward in, in big massive bursts and then it'll slow down for a bit so i suspect the next big thing will be quantum computers i don't really understand in fact i don't understand it at all i need tilly to explain it but that once that is done or cracked properly Apparently, that's going to be a massive game changer in in everything. Um, and artificial intelligence will become intelligence will become a reality then. And then we get to have the Terminator Wars, so that'd be quite interesting and a lot of fun um, as we battle our robot masters. But we're all purely there to um, produce batteries for the for the Matrix. So yeah, so there'll be all sorts of interesting things to look forward to. Um, I watch a lot of television sometimes, probably too much. <laughs> it's very interesting <laughs> to see how your mind works I think <laughs> well I don't think I have any more questions for you unless you think there's anything I haven't asked you that you want to tell us uh, no no it's been fun I mean, you asked me things I haven't been asked before which is which is always a bonus um, yeah it's been fun I'm sure people already know, but if they don't, would you like to tell them where they can find out more about you and where they can buy your books from? Uh, you can buy my books anywhere that sells books. And I'm on Twitter, MWCravenUK. I'm on Facebook all over, probably too much. And <laughs> I have a website, MWCraven.com. And I always respond to emails, so please do get in touch and tell me how much you adore my books. And if you don't, then email somebody else. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs>